Welcome to the podcast of the fabulous Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Michael Gordon, and I'm proud to serve as the 95th president of the greatest Rotary Club in the world. Our club serves our local and international community through a variety of projects, but our main focus is on youth literacy. If you're ever in town for either business or pleasure, we invite you to join us at one of our weekly lunches. More information about meeting time and location can be found at lasvegasrotary.com. Now, sit back and enjoy this week's speaker. Thank you, Michael. Well, our speaker today is Brian Ruff, and I've known Brian uh, since his days in radio, or his radio days, in the 80s when I was an ad agency media buyer, and he quickly became one of my favorite radio reps and a friend. And he is a multi-talented individual. He's got an enviable sharp and quick wit, which I imagine is a great part of why he's become such a successful author. So I am very happy to introduce Brian Ruff. That's a lot of pressure. I know. So my wife couldn't make it today. We've been married 37 years. So I uh, just wanted to squeeze that in and say that since she's not here and I've known you 30-something years, would you be my sweetheart for the next half hour? All right. That's what I, I just wanted to get an awe. So I need two favors. One is um, I could tend to go on, and I know nobody wants that. So maybe in about 20 minutes, if somebody up front could kind of go like five, you know. And then also, please remind me, because I've got my newest book, The House Always Wins. That's my last plug, because I know it'll cost me money. Um, I'm going to give away two copies. So anyway, let me pull out my um, ad-libs. So I've always been a writer, even when I was a little kid. Um, it's lucky for me, because it's the only thing I'm good at. You think I'm kidding. I'm not. And I've been able to earn a living at it my entire life. But there's a difference between being a writer and an author. So uh, Sidra and I, for many, many years, were in the same business. I owned an ad agency, and you owned an ad agency. Um, and I've stayed in that, so I have a day job, because even though I'm a marginally, well, no, I would say I've sold about 50,000 books total, so I'd say I'm somewhat successful. I'm not Rowling or you know Grisham or those people. So I still need my day job, and I have an advertising and marketing firm. And I've, as I say, I, I, at first when I got into writing and people paid me for it, it really tickled me because it's like, wow, I do this, and they're giving me money. But when I finally hit my early to mid-40s, it stopped being quite that satisfying. And I got an itch, and that happens a lot. Uh, you know, midlife, I always say that writing uh, is how I handled my midlife crisis because it was safer than a Harley, you know, and, uh, and, and uh, cheaper than a divorce. So that's the last reference to my wife this afternoon. Um, so um, I decided, because a lot of writers, and we have another professional author I saw in the room, so uh, uh, we decide we want to try our hand at something longer than a 60-second TV commercial. So I decided I was going to write a, a Vegas novel. I'd already been here from Southern California for about 20 years. And you know, by Vegas standards, you're a long-timer at that point. 
And I'd been paying attention, and I fell in love with my adopted city. And writers never leave the house without this. I've tried the recording, and it doesn't work for me. So I've filled up probably thousands of these things over the years. And that's where you get your best material. I always say that if people in the booth at the restaurant next to me knew I was a writer, they'd be more careful about what they say. Because they can give you, without even realizing it, pages and pages of dialogue or a whole idea for a book. So, and I was irritated too. You know, that's always a good impetus, right? I was irritated because all the books that I read about Vegas and the movies that I saw got it wrong. They were really superficial. It was all the strip, the strip, the strip. You know, people actually live here. And it, I, I just, you know, I was reading a book by a very famous, very accomplished author whose name I will not mention unless you give me a dollar. And his, I'm, I'm reading, and he talks, it's a book that takes place in Vegas, and he talks about the on-ramp to Maryland Parkway. And it's like, really? You know, did you come here? Did you, does your editor, did your editor come here? So, and, and that'll take you out of the story. I didn't want to be that guy. My goal was pretty lofty. I wanted to establish a brand as the writer who's associated with Las Vegas, the same way that anybody ever read um, Carl Hyacin, for example. I love Hyacin, and Hyacin is associated with uh, Miami and, and you know South Florida. Elmore Leonard, who passed recently, who's really my writing hero, uh, put most of his uh, scenes in Detroit and surrounding areas. So I wanted to be that guy for Vegas who lets visitors understand what we're really about and lets locals kind of smile and go, yeah, that's, that's my town, that's my town. So I had that idea, but then like, what do you write about? Well, you know, people always say, where do you get your ideas? So you get them from real life. Does anybody remember a, a weekly alternative newspaper, which I always got a kick out of, called Las Vegas City Life? So it was really good. And, but it had these really kind of interesting, quirky ads in the back all the time, and they would run week after week because I think they were cheap. And it was kind of an alternative weekly. So I used to see this ad, and it said, I will bring you luck at dice called Julie. And I saw week after week, and I thought, well, she must be making a little money. She must be finding people to take her up on her, on her offer, and, or else she wouldn't keep running this darned ad. And I thought, this is really Vegas. You know, who else is going to run an ad like that, and who's going to find somebody who's, you know, desperate or naive enough to go out gambling with Julie? Me. That's who did it. So I called her up, and I had a little bankroll, and I wanted to see if maybe she could become a character in my book. So I kind of, I didn't tell her that, because I didn't want her to be self-conscious. So I just was playing Jim Rockford, you know, under undercover. And we went, she picked the Treasure Island, and she worked. It was like 20% of your winnings, but generously, if, if you lost, you didn't owe her anything. And she was like this kooky ex-hippie, really fun. Um, and what she did is she had um, like chants and charms and beads and different things she would do. And she told me maybe it wasn't the best time because Mercury was in retrograde. And I still don't know what that means. And um, so I lost my whole bankroll of a couple hundred dollars in like 10 minutes. 
And, but it was worth it because it was research. And now I've got the seed for my first novel, Dice Angel, um, also based on a really good friend of mine who owns a bar and grill, the legendary Johnny Max in Henderson, world's greatest wings and pizza. He sends me a dollar also. Nobody knows Johnny Max. He's been there since 83. So, and he's a character, and he's a great restaurateur. So I combined the two. A guy who owns a, a bar and grill. I moved it to Vegas. Um, and he gets in some financial trouble through no fault of his own. And he has nowhere to turn. And he hooks up with the Dice Angel. And then, you know, hilarity ensues, hopefully. So that book took me a couple of years to get it to market. And it did really well. And I'm thinking, wow, this is easy. Well, it's not easy. So I got the bug. And then a couple of years later, I wrote a book, not a sequel, called Money Shot. And I just liked the title because it had nothing to do with, you know, what you think it has to do with. And I thought it would sell really well. It's a sports book. And it's about any sports fans who ever watch these um, fans get picked to shoot a ball or slap a hockey puck or throw a, a football through a car window and you win a million dollars or you win the car or whatever. So I kind of watched way too much sports in, in my life and I want that time back, you know. But I thought, all right, so I'll... I'll write a book about it. And I wrote the book, and it kind of tanked. And I learned too late that people who love sports, because I thought, my, there's 100 million people in this country that love sports. They'll all buy this book. Well, they don't read. <laughs> I, I should have looked that up. I'm a marketing guy. I should have looked that up first. But, you know, for me, it's, yeah, it's nice to make money, right? It's nice to be number one in, where are you number one? In, in three countries. But it's also you want to get, you have something to say. That's why writers mostly write, I think, because there are a thousand easier ways to make money. So it's got to be a labor of love. You've got to be a storyteller, and you want to tell your story. Well, after Money Shot came out, uh, we got hit with uh, a little something called the Great Recession, and uh, you may remember that. And um, I was not able to write for a while because I had to go back to work more than full-time and help save my business. So... In the meantime, we had moved into, this is right before the crash, we had moved into an old fixer-upper house. My wife is a realtor. And on um, St. Louis, 1701 East St. Louis, 6,700 square feet. We picked it up for less than a song because it was in horrible, horrible shape. Had like an indoor-outdoor pool you could swim in from the, uh, from the backyard into the master bedroom. The, uh, the walk-in closet was larger than my first efficiency apartment when I moved to Vegas um, in 1981. And we brought that house back to life. We rehabbed it over three years. And while we were doing that, I always felt like it was haunted. Um, not in a bad way, not in a scary way, but like, you know, strange noises, which is going to happen in an old house. But also, you know, weird electrical stuff. My wife would say, Turn off the, I thought I told you to turn off the light. I did turn off the light. The lights would flicker. They'd go on and off. Uh, the air conditioning would come on when it wasn't supposed to come on. And, you know, strange temperature changes. Walking through the hall, you were, like, making weather in the hall. And on and on and on. Well, does that mean it's haunted? Probably not. But that's not a story, right? But if you decide, oh, and by the way, it had been owned by a guy named Jack Eglash. Do you know that name? Jack, who was Jack Eglash? 
Well, you're close. Same industry. He was the orchestra leader for many, many years at the Old Sahara, when the Old Sahara was a big deal. And um, that house had been a, a party house at one time. It had, and, and these are some things that we restored also. Um, it had like a, a full working soda fountain, and you could push a button in the island in the kitchen and a uh, blender, you know, one of the old kind with the, with the, I don't forget what you call those, but anyway, it would pop up. And then it had all kinds of state-of-the-art stuff from like 1960. And I can remember one day we were looking. We weren't even looking. It was there were there were rooms we'd never been in really, and there were drawers we'd never opened. And my wife finally opens a drawer and she lets out a, a, a shriek. I said, "What? What?" She says, "I found all the original instruction manuals for all this stuff that we don't know how to work." including something called a phaser cooktop, which we could never figure out because it never gets hot, but it only works with a certain type of, of, of pots and pans. It's amazing. So we brought that house back to life, and I had this idea from it. Why don't I write? I've never seen a Vegas ghost story. So that's what I decided to do. But I kind of had to put it on hold while you know the economy fixed itself, sort of. And when things finally turned around, um, I was traveling a lot, and so most of this book I wrote in airports, because that's wasted time, right? Airports, planes, nobody's bothering you, and in hotel rooms and stuff like that. And over a couple of years, I had, I had the, uh, the, the first manuscript. Um, it's not that interesting to write a haunted house book based on an orchestra leader. He's a great guy. Uh, a lot of cool people had been in that house, everybody from Elvis to, because um, we connected with his, his grown kids it's a long story. I don't have time. But um, the Rat Pack and Elvis and Dangerfield and Rickles and Cosby back when he was funny and on and on and on had been in that house. And so I thought, that's cool. But what if the ghost was a Vegas mobster? Now you've got something kind of interesting. So then I, I kind of moved into the Las Vegas Mob Museum to do research. And anybody ever hear of a, a old-time mob guy named Mo Dalitz? Okay, you, you probably started this club, for all I know. So Mo Dalitz is that quintessential, fantastic Vegas reinvention story that we're known for, which is he was a racketeer back in Cleveland and made a boatload of money during the Great Depression and Prohibition. And then when things got way hot for him, he got recruited to come out here and, and be in the casino business. But he also, as so often happens, like with Benny Binion and others, he became a stand-up guy, and he started a legitimate construction company, as far as I know. And his construction company in the 60s built iconic things that we did not have. We did not have an actual hospital. Mo Dalitz's construction company built Sunrise. We didn't have a mall. We had Wonder World. And his construction company built the Boulevard Mall. And on and on and on. So we owe a lot. And, and he got, I think he got Rotarian of the Year, seriously. He was uh, um, other clubs and, and, and he got the key to the city. And he became a very respected, valuable member of the Las Vegas community. But he still had, you know, some, some nefarious background and some mob connections and you never totally get rid of those, and, uh, or so I've been told. And so I thought that would, I'll base the guy on him and maybe a little bit on Meyer Lansky because he was good with money. 
And so the story is essentially a, a young woman from a small town in Michigan who falls in love with a traveling musician and overnight decides to shake up her life. She makes this decision in 24 hours to move to Las Vegas. I like that idea because it gave me a chance to look at our town through fresh eyes. So now she's a newcomer. The guy that she marries almost overnight has lived here a long time. He's a bass player in a local band. And so he's kind of schooling her on, on you know, Vegas stuff. And, for example, you know, her, when she moves in the middle of summer and she can't believe it's 99 in the middle of the night and she's freaking out and she's thirsty all the time. She thinks she has diabetes because, you know, she looks it up on WebMD and they're thirsty all the time. And then she's getting bloody noses, so she thinks she has leukemia. So on the way um, to Vegas, he tells her the three most important uh, rules of, of survival. One, it's Nevada, not Nevada. You know, keep her out of a lot of trouble, right? Secondly, never play video poker at the car wash. And third, stay off Eastern Avenue. Especially where my office is, which is Anthem. So that's the impetus of that story, but now you need conflict, right? Well, the house that we lived in and the house in the, in the, in the book um, is very close to the stratosphere. And so I thought, what if the owner of the stratosphere, but I changed the name to avoid lawsuits and things like that, so I don't even know who owns it now, but I invented a guy, a casino owner named Bob Pikowski, and he calls it Pike's Peak, you know, Pikowski, Pike's Peak, and he wants that whole street because he wants to expand his parking, and so he offers everybody on St. Louis and Oki and that whole area a lot of money to move. This is based on real stuff. We were just talking about Steve Wynn. Uh, he had that one last holdout, you know, in, when he was building the Mirage. So a lady wouldn't sell her house, and she wanted to die in that house. And they wound up building the whole parking lot around her house. And, you know, she, she hung in there for a good long time. So God bless her. Um, so it was kind of that. And, and what winds up happening is that, without giving away too much, that... She loves this house. They, they rehabbed it. She and a Viet, ex, uh, Vietnam vet across the street. I got 10 minutes? Really? Wow. Okay. Good. I'll do three, and then I'll do Q&A, stuff like that. But uh, they're the last holdouts. And now Pikowski and his machine start playing really dirty. And by this time, the ghost in the house, ex-mobster, um, has shown himself to Anna, our protagonist, and he's giving her tips on how to fight City Hall. And so there's your story. And then what happens? Hilarity ensues. No. So again, I try to write from a local perspective. Um, I, that's, I want people to understand the, the, the city that I, my adopted home, that I've learned to love over the last 37 years. Um, warts and all. Because I think even those of us, you know, born and raised, whatever, we, we, we have a love-hate relationship. I mean, any town that you live in, you know, uh, familiarity breeds contempt. I don't have contempt, but there are plenty of times when I'm stuck, like on Eastern Avenue, where I'm saying things in the car that I can't say here. So 
that's the story. Um, I'm happy to open it up to uh, questions. It's uh, Here you can charge me more. It's available on Amazon at all Barnes & Noble retailers and wherever fine books are sold. How'd I do? So uh, can, we, uh, can we do some Q&A? Great. Uh-oh. True rotary fashion, Tony Kern steps up. Hi there. Uh, in Dice Angel, you say it's a quirky mystery. Um, can you tell us something we might not know about Las Vegas? Wow, that's a really, really good one. You know, it's funny. I've I've never been stumped before, at, and I've done I've done a lot of talks because marketing books. I'm stalling here. Marketing books is a very grassroots type of a thing, right? And you do a lot of talks, and it's a good thing that I enjoy it. But something that how long have you been here? That way I can twenty. Okay, so I got to tell you something that you might not have. Uh, when I came to town in. Um, 81, there was not a good deli anywhere to be had. That's the one thing that Dalitz didn't build um, was a good delicatessen. The only one that we could find was Foxy's, and it blew. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. If I think of something better, which I will on the, a car ride back to my office, uh, on Eastern, I'll give you, now I know it's 17 different ways to get back to my office. Uh, I, give me your card, and I'll, I'll drop you a line, okay? Good, good one. Good question. Just want to first say you've probably got the foremost authority on Mo Dalet sitting about three feet from you there with Louis Souter right I there. Need so. to, I need to talk to you. He, he, he can give you a whole gaggle of books, I'm okay. sure. All right. But um, you never mentioned what you ended up doing with the house. You still have it? You sell it? What, no, what it we, we flipped it. We flipped it in the mid-2000s, um, uh, luckily ahead of the crash. Um, and sadly, and, and now, unfortunately, the book is really the, the tribute to the house, but um, the, the guy we sold it to defaulted, it went back to the bank, and in 2014 it burnt to the ground. I know, I know, and they think the theory is that, that <laughs> the ghost, the, the, the uh, theory is that squatters were living in it and barbecuing or something, That's whatever squatters do, and so it's really sad. Um, there are pictures on the web, and there's, Tom Hawley was nice, you know from TV3, was nice enough to do a segment on it. And he, it's, you can go to YouTube and find it. It was just a couple months ago. And he's got a whole history, including pictures and video. Because he got a hold of, of the son, Eglash's son also. So, uh, so there are memories. It's all we've got. Boy, it's a long walk. I need to step. <laughs> Hi, thanks for coming and speaking to us today. I've got two questions for you. Uh, the first one's pretty simple. How happy are you that the Philadelphia Eagles are world champions? You know, I couldn't be happier because I'm an underdog guy. Yep. So I always root for the... I didn't have a dog in that fight, but enough with New England already. <laughs> My real question for you is... Um, Sorry. Do you have uh, an idea that you're currently working on for your, for your next book? Do you have something in mind that is kind of percolating around? Well, yeah, and, and thank you for asking that. Um, 
the, the thing with, with writing is you always have more ideas than you have time and energy and everything else to do. Um, after all these years, I think I've got a viable idea for a sequel to Dice Angel. I actually had a lot of people ask for that, like two. No, it was actually a lot. And, um, and, but I didn't want to put one out there just to put it out there. But now I've got one I can get excited about. And to me, that's the key to writing, is you want to get something. Because when you hit that wall halfway through your 75,000 or 80,000 words, it's really attractive to just say, I, it's like you know, what I imagine running a marathon would be. So, uh, so hopefully yeah, I, I answered that. Yeah, I so just, that's my next, that's <laughs> probably my next project. Oh, I just have a comment, not a question. You're talking about City Life magazine? Yes. Uh, I used to read that, and uh, I remember vividly one of the personals in the back that said, single white female interested in Christian fellowship and polar white photography. And that could have been that book instead. I had a choice between those two. I, I think I actually re remember that. How about writing a book about the most famous florist in Las Vegas? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to cost you money. Yeah. <laughs> I, I unfortunately had to sell it to a national company and they went bankrupt. But my reputation was the best in town. In, uh, started in 1973 and uh, finally died in 2000. And, okay, I'm going to get in trouble here too. What was the name of your company? Oh, I know that one. Everybody knows that. Real quick, so the unintended consequences, good things. So my, my marketing firm is now, because of me writing, um, we help other authors get their books to market. So, and we've been doing a lot of memoirs, including ghostwriting. There's a lot of real, and maybe this guy's one of them. But we, we, um, there's a lot of interesting people in this town that have an amazing story to tell. They just don't know how. So that, this has branched into a whole other business for me, which is fun. I'm learning a lot. I used up my time. Can I give away these books real quick? Okay. Um, so I'm gonna. Uh, I've got a lot of local color in these books, and I've got a couple of restaurants that I that are real places that I put scenes into. Um, and so I'm gonna give you a series of of like clues. They're gonna be really easy, and the first hand that I see with the right answer gets a book. So the first one is on the north end of the strip. It's been there since the early '70s. What? I'm sorry. No. So close. Er, yeah, holy cow. I know, this is a, this is a good crowd. Who, uh, congratulations, good one. And I do a lot of restaurant stuff because I don't look like it, but I eat a lot. So the second one has been there since the early 60s. It's downtown. Here's the giveaway. Hugo's. I, I didn't even get to the... I didn't even get to the gimme one that it's in a basement. Wow, they're good. See, I told you that'd be fast. Congratulations. All right. And thank you all. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. So thank you for coming to speak to us today. We would like to present you with our Share What You Can Award, where we will present a hot meal to a homeless vet in your name. That is awesome. And this is going up on my wall. So just pause and smile for the photo here. Good? Yes. Thank you. And then, and then before you leave, everybody, there is a Valentine on your way out. Thank you to the Salvation Army. 
And today, Rotary is like family. Um, spending time over a meal is often the recipe for success. Now, go forth and make a difference. Thank you for joining us for another wonderful meeting of the Rotary Club of Las Vegas. If you're interested in membership or want to know more about our upcoming projects and speakers, please visit lasvegasrotary.com for more information. Now go forth and make a difference.